0: Great to see you, Journey. Always good to see you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We invite you in all of your fullness, in all of your power, to come. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are the real teacher. You're the one who guides and directs and speaks So we ask you to do what only you can do during this time. We submit to you. And I just want to pray in the power of Jesus' name. If the evil one in any way is trying to speak to the hearts and the minds of men and women that are here, Jesus, in your name, we silence his voice. Quiet his voice. We want to only hear you during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Journey, you've got an enemy. You've got someone who hates you. Who is bent on your destruction. Who wants nothing more to do in your life than to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And you can't see him. You can't see him. But Journey, Journey, You've heard him. Whether you know it or not, you've heard him. You've heard his voice. And he wants more than anything. He wants to be hidden. When he speaks to you, he doesn't want you to know that it's him. He wants you to believe that it's you. He wants you to believe that it's the world around you that is speaking to you. And sometimes he even wants you to believe that it's God but he is a liar and he is bent on your destruction journey. We have an enemy. In this series, the kingdom is like, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and how God wants to bring his kingdom to this earth. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, that's exactly what he said he was going to be about. The time has come. The kingdom of God, meaning the rule and the reign of God, it is breaking in to time and space right now. It is right there. And he says, repent and believe the good news. God's kingdom is coming to this earth. But what is also true is that there is another kingdom. God's kingdom is not the only kingdom that exists. God's rule and reign is not extended everywhere on this earth. Not in the hearts and minds of every person on this earth. And the scriptures talk about two kingdoms. One it calls God's kingdom, oftentimes the kingdom of light. But it also talks about another kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. That's led by Satan and his thugs, demons. The kingdom of darkness is real. Here's what Paul talked about when he talked about the clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter one. He says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And Paul says this is what is true. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness or this kingdom of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption The forgiveness of sins. What Paul is saying here is that if you are a follower of Jesus, meaning not that you like Jesus, not that you're a fan of Jesus, but that you have bowed your knee to him and you said, Jesus is my king, he is my sovereign, I follow him above all else. He says, if that's true of you, you've been rescued away from this dominion of darkness and been brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. We are sons and daughters. Of the king But This dominion of darkness That Paul is talking about It is not eradicated Just because we have moved From the kingdom of darkness Into the kingdom of light Does not mean that it goes away These two kingdoms exist together And we live in a time and space Where these two kingdoms Overlap one another God's kingdom is breaking in But there is a battle Between these two kingdoms And what the scripture talks about, this battle between the kingdoms, is what we call spiritual warfare. Whether you can see it or not, friends, there is a battle that is going on. You see the evidence of the kingdom of darkness in this world. You see the brokenness that he brings when he steals, kills, and destroys. You see broken people. You see broken relationships. We see broken marriages. We see depths of hatred in our world, discord, divisions, isolation, people isolated from one another, loneliness, not living together in harmony the way God would want in his kingdom, selfishness, immorality. We see the systemic oppression of people all over the world, greed and envy, and we see worship. We see worship all over the place of things that are not God. These two kingdoms are in conflict. And our enemy, he hates God. He hates everything about God's kingdom. But he does not have any power to steal, kill, and destroy from God. But you know what he wants to do? He hates what God loves, friends, and that's us. He wants to bring destruction into our lives because he wants to destroy the things that God loves. There is a kingdom in conflict with God's kingdom. You don't have to go try to find it. It will find you. This conflict exists. And if we just even look a little bit at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that as he was coming to this earth, As he was bringing his kingdom to this earth, he is continually displacing this kingdom of darkness. We see evidence of it on almost every page in the life and ministry of Jesus, that he is coming up against Satan, up against the demonic, pushing back darkness. He's showing that this battle exists, it's real, and we have to engage in it. Because if we don't know our enemy, If we don't know who he is And we don't know how he works We will not know how to battle him We're going to look at a story today Where we see this clash of kingdoms And it starts very early In the life and ministry of Jesus It happens early and it happens often Just after the baptism of Jesus He comes up against Satan In the wilderness And what we want to do today Is we want to learn three things That will expose the work And the voice of the enemy. The first thing that we're gonna learn is just the simple truth. The kingdom has an enemy. God's kingdom has an enemy. The second thing that we're gonna learn is that the enemy has a strategy. And lastly, we're gonna learn that the strategy has a remedy. Immediately following Jesus' baptism, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter four, starting in verse one. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Just looking at this story, we understand the kingdom has an enemy. Friends, he is real, he is personal, he is supernatural, he's powerful, And he's got a voice. And he's got a voice into our lives. Now I'm imagining that there are some people that right now are saying, really? Really, you're gonna talk to me about Satan and demons? Doesn't that seem like a little naive way to approach the world? Aren't we a little bit, haven't we moved on past that? We don't believe in the boogeyman anymore. Are there more sophisticated ways for us to understand the evil in the world than Satan and demons. And I just want to boldly say that that voice that would say that to us is his voice. That would be his voice. He wants to be hidden. He wants us not to believe in him because he he does his best work in the darkness. He does his best work in the darkness. No light hidden. That voice that he whispers to us with, he wants us to believe that that's us talking, that that's other people around us talking, and sometimes even that that's God talking to us. When we read the scriptures, when we look at how Jesus came up against the evil one and the demonic world, Satan is not a symbol of evil in the world. Satan is the source of evil in the world. And we see it from the very beginning of scripture. When we start at the very beginning, he comes in and like page two, he shows up. Tempting Adam and Eve. And then it's not till the page right before the maps at the end that he is thrown into the lake of fire. This kingdom that comes up against God's kingdom, God's kingdom is all throughout Scripture. It's on every page. The evil one knows that his time is short. And so he wants to wreak havoc in the lives of those that God loves. And that's people. God loves people. And that's why Peter would say to us, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter says, you gotta be aware. You gotta be alert. The scriptures makes it really clear. We don't have to be afraid He is a defeated foe. But over and over, it says, we've got to be aware. We've got to be alert. We've got to know the things that he does. We've got to know his voice. I just want to say it again. We play right into the enemy's hands when we pretend that he doesn't exist. We need to be aware, and we need to be aware of how he brings temptation into our life. How does he do that? This picture This story of Jesus is an interesting example. But as I read that story to you, I just want to ask you this question. How did you imagine that story was playing out? What was it that came up to Jesus? How was it that he heard the voice? I mean, did you picture that there was this little horn thing with a tail and a pitchfork walking up to Jesus out in the desert? And yo, Jesus, turn this stone into bread. I don't know why I would think Satan's from Brooklyn. <laughs> but is, is that what you think? Is that what happened? I started to think about some of the movies that I've seen that depict the story of Luke. And they have this snake that comes up. And this voice comes from a snake and talks to Jesus. Is that what we think happened? Was there just a booming voice that came from nowhere talking to Jesus? Friends, I don't think so. This is what I believe to be true, and I'll try to defend it. I think that there was just something that crossed Jesus' mind, something that went across the screen of his mind, a voice in his head. Because here's what the scripture tells us about Jesus and temptation. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. It says, For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He's saying that Jesus was tempted just like us. How are you tempted? How do you experience temptation? I don't know about you, but no pitchfork-carrying being comes up and has a conversation with me. That would be easy to see. I mean, if if a snake walked up to me and started talking to me, I would be like, take care of that. It would be easy to see that. If a voice was booming out of heaven, talking to us, it would be easy to see. But I think temptation comes, and this is my experience, it comes through voices in our heart and in our head. In the quietness of our own mind, a simple thought that comes, that like a seed begins to take root. It's a voice in our head, and it's a voice that leads to a choice, a voice that leads to a choice, a crossroads. Am I going to follow God, or am I going to follow this voice? A voice that leads to a choice. I believe that's what Jesus experienced in the wilderness. Because Jesus went to the wilderness, why did did the Spirit lead him into the wilderness? If you look at the breadth of the life of Jesus, a regular rhythm of his life was to go to desolate places, for what reason? To pray, to talk to God, to hear his voice. He was there to hear the voice of God. And it says that he was fasting for 40 days, a spiritual discipline to try to help us become more attuned to the voice of God in our life. Jesus was in a place, I believe, of incredible discernment. He was in a conversation with the Father. So when this other voice comes to his heart, comes to his mind, it was easy for him to see, this is not God. This is the evil one. He'd learned. He was showing us. We've got to learn to discern between the voices. Whose voice are we hearing? Who is it that is talking to us? I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. We grab a hold of it to make it obedience to Christ. What is Paul saying? When those thoughts When those voices come into your mind, he says, grab a hold of it, look at it, analyze it. Who's talking to you? Is it God? Is it the enemy? Every thought, every voice, make it obedient to Christ. In this story, we've got to understand, friends, that this kind of temptation, this kind of voice that would come into our life, it affects everyone. None of you, I don't care How spiritual you are. This affects everyone. And sometimes in our hearts we can just say. If I was just more spiritual. If I could just get my stuff together. I wouldn't wrestle with this. I wouldn't be dealing with all of these temptations. If my life was just a little bit more pure. I wouldn't struggle. There was never a more pure person than Jesus Temptation found him. Suffering found him. A pure life doesn't make you exempt from the voices, from the temptation. Christianity never promises to save us from suffering, from temptation. Christianity promises to save us through temptation, through suffering. Our lives will be like Jesus. We will walk through it just like He did. And he had voices that led to choices. But he made good choices because he was able to recognize the voice of the evil one. The kingdom has an enemy. And friends, that enemy, he's got a strategy. I love this story that I read about General Patton. In kind of a classic battle, he was squared off against Rommel. And Rommel attacked and Patton counterattacked in a way that was incredibly successful. And it is said that Patton stood up and in defiance yelled so that everyone could hear, you magnificent bugger, we'll say bugger, (laughs) you magnificent bugger, I read your book, Rommel. I read your book. He knew what Rommel was gonna do Because he read the book of that military strategist. He knew what his moves were. And he was able to counter attack. Friends, we've got to read the book. We've got to read his book. We've got to know how he works. So that we can counter attack the things that he is trying to do in our lives. We've got to learn to counter attack. How does he attack? First of all, he attacks our identity. He attacks Who we are He wants you to question Who you are But not just who you are Whose you are Who do you belong to I think it's telling In this story of Jesus In Luke chapter 4 That the story Immediately preceding that Is the baptism of Jesus Jesus is baptized And it says that Heaven was ripped open And the spirit of God Came and landed On Jesus like a dove And then there was a voice, a voice, a voice from heaven that said, this is my son. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That voice booming from heaven, reminding Jesus who he was. You're my son. I love you. I am so proud of you. That was the voice of truth that was resonating in the heart and the mind of Jesus as he walked out into the wilderness. But that doesn't stop Satan. He wants to try to question, are you really who people think that you are? Twice when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, he starts with the statement, if you are the son of God, if. Can he call that into question? Can he try to get Jesus to doubt who he is? Can he get us to doubt who we are? Oh man, he wants to. He wants to, because what happens when we start to doubt who we are? Well, we don't believe that we are a son, that we're a daughter of God, that he loves us, that he is so proud of us, that he would do anything for us. When we start to doubt that, it drives a wedge between us and him. And it causes us to not go to the one who can help us in our time of temptation, our time of trial. If he can get you to doubt who you are, the battle is half won. If he can get you to believe, I'm not a child. I'm not loved. God is not proud of me. I'm rejected. I'm abandoned. God doesn't see. God doesn't even know what's going on in my life. If he can get us to believe that, He's got us halfway down the road. And friends, he is so, so good at this. A handful of weeks ago, it was a Monday morning, and you know, we probably all have the Mondays, but there were just some ministry things that I was involved in, and I just felt like I failed. I felt like I hadn't done a good job. I tried, done my best, but I just felt like I failed. But then there was a voice that started to talk to my mind, and it went from the idea of I failed to you're a failure. And I didn't grab a hold of that thought. I let that seed start to grow. And over a handful of minutes and hours, about halfway through the day, I can't describe to you the weight that I felt. There was this incredible sense of hopelessness, there was this incredible sense of worthlessness, this insecurity. Felt so isolated from people. Anxiety in my life. Everything in me. I just wanted to, why am I even doing this ministry thing? I wanted to throw in the towel so bad. Went to my wife. Tried to talk to her about what was going on. I could see that she was concerned. But I was so grateful. She just began to speak truth. Reminded me who I am. She began to pray. Began to pray that the voice of the evil one would be silenced. That this would go on no more. Friends, there was a transformation in that day. By that evening, I was just looking back thinking, what happened there? He got me to question who I was and whose I was. And it starts to take us down a road we never wanted to be on. He wants us to question our identity because it moves us away from God. But he doesn't want to just get us to question our identity. He wants to get us To take a shortcut Take a shortcut That's one of his moves Look at this story of Jesus What were the things that Satan dangled out Before Jesus Bread I mean really Like is bread that big a deal But what Satan wanted to do is Have your need met Have your need for bread met in your way Don't see God as the provider Of your daily bread You do it your way What else did he offer you? All the kingdoms of the world. You can have all of them, Jesus. Newsflash, all of them belong to him already. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. But what Satan was offering him, let's get there. Just worship me. Let's don't do this cross thing. Do it your way. Do it a different way. Don't do it God's way. Take the easy way, a shortcut. Jesus, you want people to know who you are. You want people to know what you've done for them. So let's go to the temple. Let's jump off the temple. And when God rescues you, you're gonna be the most famous person ever. Friends, Jesus is and will be the most famous person ever. There will be a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord All those things that Satan offered out to him were things that he already could have. But Satan said, do it your way. Do it independently of God. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to, instead of heading down God's road, that narrow path that God calls us to, he wants us to get our blinker on and take a shortcut. You know how it works in a big city when you try to take a shortcut and you get off the path. You end up on another highway. You don't know how to get back. Shortcuts never work, and they never work in the kingdom either. Shortcuts always take us further off the path than we ever wanted to go. Shortcuts always keep us longer off the path than we ever wanted to stay. And shortcuts cost us way more than we ever wanted to pay. Voices have choices. Jesus saying, Don't take shortcuts Follow what is true Another tactic of the enemy Is that he uses these two things together This temptation and identity thing together And I think a picture of it that sticks in my mind Is a one-two punch Temptation and accusation You know what the one-two punch is in boxing? It's this It's a jab and it's a right cross You set them up with the jab And as they're trying to stop the jab, you come in hard with the right cross. You didn't know you had such a tough pastor, (laughs) did you? That's what the evil one does. It's not jab, cross. It's temptation, accusation. Temptation, accusation. Temptation, accusation. Temptation. He wants to get you to take that shortcut. He lures us off of the path. And then once we get off the path, he brings the accusation. Look at what you've done. You call yourself a child of God. There's no way. Temptation, accusation. Temptation, accusation. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because he's been pummeling you over and over and over again. Friends, it's got to stop. Friends, it can stop. Because the enemy has a strategy. There's things that he wants to do to bring destruction to your life. But his strategy has a remedy. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do in the face of temptation? When his identity was questioned, when he was invited off the path, he reminded himself and he reminded Satan this is what is true. This is what I know to be true. The scriptures say, which means God said, This is what is true. He stood on the things that are true. Friends, when we face temptation, when we face accusation, we have got to stand on the things that are true. I wanna just share one thing, just one truth from the scripture that I want you to leave with today that I believe has the power to give us victory Over temptation and accusation. One truth. At the very end of the life of Jesus, as his arms were spread out on the cross, John is the only one that records this, but at the very end of his life, Jesus, hanging there, said one thing He said, It is finished. One little Greek word to tell us die. But a Greek word that not only means it is finished, it's an accounting term that also means debt paid in full. Everything has been paid. Jesus says, It is finished. I want you to say it with me. I want you to say it out loud because I want your ears to hear you say that. Say it after me. It is finished. finished. We gotta do better than that. It It is finished. It is finished. One truth. How does that help us? When we think about the voice of Jesus hanging on the cross, Saying to us, 2,000 years later, it is finished. How does that help with temptation? Friends, it tells us two things. One thing it tells us, sin is serious. God takes sin seriously. We can't look at Jesus hanging on the cross, paying a debt in full that he didn't know that we owed, we can't look at that and say, sin is not serious, it is. Getting off the path, taking the exit ramp off of the narrow path of God is serious. But we can't hear Jesus say, it is finished, and not know that God's love is serious. That God would hang there, himself, paying your debt That he didn't owe because he loved you. It is finished. When we hear Jesus from the cross saying it is finished. It can bring a death blow to temptation because we realize sin is serious. Don't take the exit ramp. But it also is the death blow to accusation because it's the reminder. God loves us. God loves us. Romans Eight. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. It is finished. I want to give you an opportunity to have a time of reflection. I just want you to take a few moments and allow God to have the last word in your life this morning. Ask him what it is that he wants to speak into your life this morning. God, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your voice above all of the other voices and especially the voice of the evil one. Jesus, when you taught your disciples to pray, and by extension, you taught us to pray, you asked us to invite your kingdom to this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus, we invite your rule and your reign in our life right now in all things. And Jesus, at the same time, when you taught us to pray, you taught us to pray that we would be delivered from the evil Jesus, would you help us to see the battle that we would recognize the enemy, that we would be alert and aware, not afraid, but alert and aware. Deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Jesus, that you brought the victory over temptation and accusation. Thank you that you loved us enough to hang on the cross so that you could say to us and be that voice resonating over and over in our mind, it is finished. Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.